Hello, and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode three, anticipating the click and the flow. So, good afternoon, Kelly. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sean. How are you? I'm, I'm well. It's the, the middle of the week for us teaching and right before the holiday break. So things are, are fast and furious. We have a lot of things going on. And, you know, I'm really excited about the time that we have right now because there's a lot of really great things happening with our students. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions just to get to know you a little bit better. Where did you grow up? You know, what, how, what town did you grow up in? But then where did you grow up professionally also? Oh, these are great questions. So I grew up in a little town called Sebastian. I was actually born in Miami, Florida, but I grew up in Sebastian, which is about three hours north of Miami. One middle school, one high school with a couple cities. So really small town mentality. Growing up professionally, though, Wow. So I have to say that my professional life grew when I went to England. And it was I had such a great opportunity because I went to London, England to work right at the same time when technology was blooming. It was in 2003 and the the British curriculum got changed and they started putting ICT, which was their technology course and makerspace, more of like an engineering course into the curriculum as a mainstream thing. So I think I learned the most during that time. How about nice. you? I know that you you grew up in Alaska. Yeah, I, I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. So very much the opposite of where we live now in Florida mm-hmm. in so many ways. But I was born and raised there. And I think it shaped a lot of who I am today. I grew up in, in the biggest city in Alaska. So by Alaska standards, I'm a city kid, but it was a really good childhood. It was a lot of outdoor activities, fishing and camping and everything. And and I also had kind of a, a nice time to grow up there because there was a lot of tax revenue from oil money. So a lot of that was being put into technology education, right? And purchasing a lot of technology for classrooms and for teaching that the rest of the country didn't have access to yet. So it was a really good time to be growing up there. But I think the thing that could probably illustrate the most of what it was like for me growing up as a kid was the summer of my the summer when I was 10 years old, my mom sent to us, sent my sister and I to a week long camp over the summer that was the computer wilderness camp. And in the morning, we would learn about computers and technology. And in the afternoon, we would go rock climbing and canoeing and mountain climbing and and hiking through the mountains around Anchorage. So it was a really great experience. And one of the reasons why it's so memorable for me is the way that the instructors integrated both halves of it together. So the end product, product, the deliverable that we made at the end of the week was each of us created our own page on the computer using desktop publishing software, which was so groundbreaking at the time. (laughs) But we wrote about our experiences that week and we integrated photography. We scanned in the photos from the adventures that we had had in the afternoons when we were out doing our wilderness adventures. So it was a really great way to bring both of those things together in a really unique way. And that always stuck out to me as this is kind of who I am and indicative of what I really love. And it's those kinds of experiences where you can take two things that seem very much at odds and bring them together in a unique way that is so exciting for me in teaching. It's kind of something that we do every day in middle school, right? That's that's <laughs> our goal, right? 
And then my professional kind of adolescence and growth was was at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I had the opportunity after graduate school to go work for P&G in the IT department. And while I was there, I was had the opportunity to transfer into the marketing department and work on digital marketing projects for Procter & Gamble. And it was such a great time. This was 2005 to 2009 when a lot of the really new areas of uh, internet advertising and social media search advertising were really growing and just exploding at that time. And, and that was something that I really got to take advantage of and, and learn so much during that time period. It was a really fantastic opportunity. That's great. It's so interesting because I think as the teachers, we constantly have this professional growth if, if we if we're adamant about it and we are constantly learning, we and we have this professional growth, I don't know peak, how, how we say, and I, I think we bring in so bring in the I bring in the small town, small town kind of feel into my teaching, and I also I bring in a lot of the stuff from the the UK where I where I taught, and now I'm in another kind of professional growth, and so are you, and we're at this this moment in our lives where, you know, I'm learning how to code at a deeper level and you're learning how to be a teacher. So it's kind of interesting how those two play in. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that that kind of leads us nicely into our topic for today, because as teachers, one of the things that we're seeking for ourselves as well as seeking for our students and especially for our students is this idea of click and flow, mm -hmm. right? So what does that mean? So Kelly, tell me a little bit about what you're seeking with the flow in a class. Well, it's funny. We're at that point of time in our quarter, right? We're at that six, seven week mark where we've been teaching the basics and everything. And I, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the kids really getting into their flow of their coding where, where the challenge is, is just about, you know, hard enough to keep them, you know, struggling but they're starting to apply what they learn and the skills so it's not too hard and they're able to get into this this mindset of coding and it's 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 just a calming feeling in our classroom and and everything turns from that that point of anxiety of not knowing what they're doing to this point of oh you know I don't know what I'm doing but I can totally get into it right yeah I, so what does that sound like in the room when flow when you achieve flow Oh, goodness. What does it sound like? Well, it, it, so it depends on the topic, depends on the challenge. So a couple of times when they're getting into it, there's like these these little noises that they make. Oh, yeah. And they keep coding. But most of the time it's a silence. We, we can turn the we can turn the coffee music, house music on. And it's a nice calming atmosphere. I always call it the, uh, the it's like the Apple store feel where everyone's just in there and just doing their thing so there's really not a lot of conversation the kids are are working on a project or working on a challenge and and just working through it yeah i and i think for me when i've seen that happen it, it does depend on the activity mm -hmm. so if it's an individualized activity where they're expected to do something in code and and they achieve that state of flow all you really hear are the clicking of the keys on the keyboard but right? that's not the same as the click that you were going to tell us that's true <laughs> that's true the difference though is that when you're doing pair programming or coding mm -hmm. together what you tend to hear is really focused bursts of, co of communication right mm -hmm. where you can tell 
they're not goofing off. They're not getting sidetracked. What you're hearing is, oh, do that. Oh, yeah. And then we have to do this. And there's that flow back and forth mm -hmm. between the two people working together. And you can tell that there's a level of engagement and enthusiasm mm -hmm. in that conversation that's very different than when they're maybe working on a project and they're not really into it and they start to get off track. Yeah, right? I think that's what every teacher wants is that that engagement. You can you can uh, you can judge your teaching style, your facilitating style by how well the kids get into a flow. Right. And I think it's one of those one of those moments that reminds you why you're teaching, yeah. um, where you just automatically you don't have to reprimand or repeat or um, redirect them back onto a task. And the the state of flow of coding, I think I think is is a remarkable feeling. It's just something that keeps us going back and and sticking through those first six weeks <laughs> of hardness yeah. of hard times. You know what's interesting too. You know I had the opportunity to observe a lot of different teachers this this year already and see how they work in their classroom flow takes many different forms mm -hmm. right and that was one of the coolest things about observing some of these other classrooms because for us flow looks like people get like kind of dive into the code right mm -hmm. like they absorb or get immersed into the coding experience and you kind of see them disappear into it mm -hmm. which is a really cool thing to see but you know i've been in other classes where achieving flow is a very different thing right it's about I, had, I watched one teacher who was working through grammar and syntax and structure in, in a language class, and she got to this state of flow where she was doing like kind of a call and answer mm -hmm. with the students, and the it was the level of engagement that you saw and the way the kids were absolutely focused on the next question that she was going to ask, and six or seven of them would raise their hand at the same time, right? They were mm -hmm. eager to answer because they knew it and they could do it and they were getting it. And it was just like, it, you could see the sense of like leaning forward into the, mm -hmm. into the lesson. And it was amazing because it was, it was so skilled, right? Mm -hmm. And it was something that, that really worked for her. So for, for, I think for me and for you, our sense of flow and what we're seeking is tailored to our style. And so if you get the opportunity to watch other teachers and see how they achieve flow, it's well worth the time because it, I think it will help inspire you to try new things and try different approaches. Yeah. And I think like once that student catches flow of, of, you know, into that, into that aspect, whether it's in English or math or science, that's where, you know, you've hooked them because it's almost like this psychological effect where I don't know if there's endorphins, there must be endorphins involved with the state of flow, but that's where you catch them into wanting more. And I see the difference between one of my two periods of teaching. My one period, you, you get to witness that flow state where I know I can push them a little bit and I can give them a little bit more of a challenge than mm -hmm. my other classroom because they haven't re uh, reached flow at a, at a constant state. Mm -hmm. With my, my one period that has reached flow, I can give them a lot of harder challenges and give, introduce newer concepts to them. And, I, and it's because they have this thirst to, to reach that satisfying stage. So it has to be endorphin-based. Uh, we'll have to research that. Yeah, I think there are, there are some books that, that have captured this, right, where they're looking for that seeking flow. Uh, you know, I think for, for me, like the benefit that I see is that when students have that state of flow going, their level 
like the way that they acquire knowledge, that acquisition mm -hmm. is so much deeper and so much more intense and it really happens at a faster pace, mm -hmm. right? So in the same block of time, you can see them pick up in, you know, understand and integrate and then transfer multiple concepts simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Like they're really like making connections and it's all fitting together and, and they're, retaining that knowledge better because it is more satisfying, more engaging, more interesting. It, it unlocks, I think, a different part of their, their brain when it comes to learning, you know, versus that same amount of time, they might only be able to pick up one or two things, mm -hmm. right? And, and not integrate and, and achieve that transfer ability of the, the knowledge if they're not in that flow state. And then the code doesn't become intimidating anymore. Right. It becomes more of a challenge that they know they can they can get to, and I think that's what we we seek. Yeah, we seek as the teachers or, or to get to that point where they're not intimidated by the code. They know it's a struggle. They know it's going to be hard. They know they're going to have to go through some sort of research or to ask the right questions, but it's something they can achieve. Yeah. So that's really yeah. interesting. And it, what's interesting about from you know kind of my past professional background, when I was writing a lot of code, we were seeking that state of flow also, right? So productivity increases dramatically when you've achieved flow, mm -hmm. right? And I think you can talk to pretty much any coder, any programmer, computer scientist, network engineer, technology specialist, whoever, whatever their title is, right? And they can tell you and describe how much better it is when they achieve that state of flow, right? Mm -hmm. They're able to produce more code. It tends to work better. It's more creative. It's more elegant. It, wor it works more efficiently, right? And that that flow state produces a better product. It's mm -hmm. a better outcome um, professionally when you achieve that flow state. And so the the best programmers are the ones who can consciously activate that. They know what they need in order to achieve that flow state, mm -hmm. and they know how to how to get themselves there. Right. Yeah. And what I like, because I've actually I reach a little bit of flow in my coding as well, but I know my spurts are smaller than yours. So, and I think that's what you kind of notice with the kids. I give them about a, you know, a 10 to 20 minutes of a flow state where you know that they're fully engaged and you can tell also that they're not clicking off. Mm -hmm. So they may not have the best, the, the perfect code as, as the programmers later on, but you know that they're so engaged that they're not clicking off the page or, or randomly searching or fiddling with something. And I, I think that that state of, flow varies as you get older right yeah. or as you get more involved or knowledgeable with those basic skill sets yeah, and a lot of it's self-awareness too yeah. right it's knowing yourself and knowing how you can achieve that flow state right but flow doesn't happen straight right. away right what you, you you call it the click right. you know and uh and not to be confused there's actually i, I think i found a, a library called the click and i yeah. got confused at first that <laughs> in python there's actually a library called the click um, so tell us about the click because you need the click, I think, before before the flow because I call it something else. Right, right. So I think what we get really excited about as we're teaching our, our course we, and we teach you know about a nine-week wheel, it takes about two-thirds of that course before the click happens. And it, it's interesting because the, the click is like the Rubicon, right? It's like once you go past it, right, once you achieve – once the click happens – like you're different. Things have changed for you, right? And not every student actually gets that click. Some of them get all the way through the nine weeks and it never happens, right? And that's okay, right? Like that happens. Other students, they actually click before they even started the course, right? They're already <laughs> coders. They get it, all those things. But the click is really a, the best way to describe it is it's when 
all of those pieces of knowledge that you've been painstakingly acquiring about coding, all the things that you've practiced, all the things you've tried, all the things you've struggled to learn and understand, suddenly rearrange themselves in your brain and it just makes sense, right? Like, oh, now I get this, right? And it doesn't mean that suddenly you become a super hacker coder, you know, wizard. What it means is all the things that you put together just assembled all of a sudden, mm-hmm. all of a sudden. And the way I can describe it is like, you know, I used to, when I lived up in northern climates where it was a lot colder, you keep a bottle of water in the trunk of your car, right? And it gets below freezing and it can actually achieve this thing called a supercooled state where because the water's so pure and there's no, no hard edges for it to freeze on, it will go below a freezing temperature and stay liquid, Right. But then as soon as you hit it sharply, right, Mm, it will instantly crystallize, right? So this is like that moment of instant crystallization that happens for students where they didn't get it. And then something knocks that loose, right? Something changes that state of matter and it goes from a liquid to a solid like that, right? Like just with a, a click. And it is one of the coolest, most rewarding things to see as a teacher is when a student has that click. And it usually comes somewhere in the... Oh, like right sound now. of a whoa, <laughs> right? Or an oh, I I get it. You know, it's it's something that happens. It's a, a moment of clarity. It's a um, you know an epiphany in coding, and I I think it's one of the best things that I can help students achieve in computer science because it's not just that they know how to code; it's they know why they code, mm-hmm. right? I call that the light bulb moment, the yeah. aha moment, and we do a lot of metacognition in in school here and I'd always tell them what is that aha moment when was that moment in your in your unit or in your class where you went oh my gosh I got it and that's your click right right and and we look forward to that and like you said it's really interesting because I would say about two-thirds of our kids get the click or the or the light bulb moment about this time right that is such an invigorating uh, time for us. And at the beginning of the quarter, I always tell the kids, I said, you got to trust the process. I am going to confuse you. I'm going to put you in a state of, of confusion for the next six weeks, probably for some of you. Just wait for the click. You're going to know and remember this day because when that click happens, you're going to go, aha, I got it. And you're going to tell me and I'm going to actually see it before you do. And it's good. It's a good feeling. Yeah, it it really is that that thing that we're seeking, mm-hmm. right? That's that's the whole point of this course. It's not really to teach the kids Python. It's not really to teach them how to use an if-then structure. It's to have them get how this all fits together and why it's useful, mm-hmm. right? Why this is a, a useful skill and something to know. So there's a lot of things that we do to encourage both click and flow, right? You know, there's some things that you need to recognize mm-hmm. beforehand. When, for example, with me, when I'm looking for the click, I'm I'm looking for that moment where they start to see and be able to answer questions, mm-hmm. right? When they start to be able to answer their own questions. And once it's happened, that's also where I start to see them have the confidence to make change and take risks and fail because they know how to fix it, yeah. right? It's interesting because I've been reading a, a couple of books, and it's it's funny because all the books have a different name for all this, right? And in, in the book Learn Better, it's in order to be a master of ten thousand hours. I forget you probably would you've heard that who said that? I think it was it was probably in like Outliers or something like that. It's like the ten thousand hours of practice to become yeah. an expert in anything so concept. Based on you have to have a bunch of knowledge. 
my Fingster book on uh, coffee breaks, he was actually saying the quote about Abe Lincoln, if you give me four hours to chop a tree. I'm going to spend three and a half sharpening the axe. Yeah, sharpening the tools. And again, going back to these, getting our skill set ready. So I think that's what happens with the click. If we spend a lot of the time, I I know I spend a lot of the time on vocabulary and and, and, in translating with the, the comment features of Python, certain lines of code. And then when we do all this and get this foundation of, you know, here's a hashtag, here's a function, here's here's a piece of code that does this. And, oh, do you see, do you, pointing out, do you see that this is a library and we have to put this library and this code and that library and that code? All that mumbo jumbo that I give them and you give them for the first five weeks, once it starts to take form, I mean, once they start to see the patterns, that's where you're going to to see more of the click come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that the other thing that really accelerates the click that makes it happen sooner is the coding challenges that mm-hmm. we do, right? The ones where you know we do a fair amount of exercises where it is repetition and it's a code along, and we, you know, and, and we'll talk a little bit more in a future episode about code alongs and code challenges and everything. But it's once you give them a challenge and you say okay, go try this, go do this. You have to solve it. You have to figure it out, right? That process where they don't really have the safety net of the teacher, mm-hmm. right? Or the other really smart kid in class who already gets the coding, but they have to figure it out. That struggle to understand it usually results in the click happening faster, right? Yeah. So we've seen that, you know, we we do a, a coding challenge that's, a, I guess, the number challenge, mm-hmm. right? And we give them part of the code and they have to figure out the rest of it. You do some really interesting things with, code commenting Mm -hmm. that helps with the click. So can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Yes. um, Well, I always, we we start, it's funny because we're learning uh, different ways on, on how to start teaching. I, I really base my, my whole Python teaching on how someone would teach a foreign language. And I think we're going to talk a little bit. I know I'm going to write a blog about, you know, coding as a foreign language, but it's, I feel it's translating. You have to, in order to learn a foreign language, you have to, not only be able to speak it and practice speaking it every day, but you have to be able to read it. And instead of giving them a word and having them memorize it, I have I give them the foreign the foreign word Python, and then I have them commenting on it. And I feel like them having to research what a certain function is, or having to talk out what is it that they're reading in Python and put it in regular English, it helps them to trigger something in their brain and they're also writing it out on paper Mm -hmm. for the first four weeks. I make them write out the code with the description. And I think that really helps that connection between the hand and the brain Mm -hmm. doing it, the three different modalities. And I just, I just feel like keeping those basics, even though they don't really fully understand what it does for them, keeping the basics on those vocabulary words and, and the, the commenting on the code, helps to bring it all together. Yeah. I, I've seen that as well. So the more that we can bring in some of the offline activities, like one of the things that we do early on is introduce our students to flowcharts and how to draw a flowchart and think about the process of what a program is doing in a visual way rather than a, a code way, right? So it helps them associate that. You know, one of the other things that we do is a, a lot of pseudocode, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a fantastic tool for all programmers and, and you know, really is used everywhere. But that idea of pseudocode helps give those students the freedom 
and the confidence to be able to say, I know how this should work, mm -hmm. even if I can't get the code to actually work, right? Mm -hmm. Or if I'm missing a piece. And what's good about that, though, with the pseudocoding is once they, they can explain it and they can write it in their own words, then they know how to search for it. Right. And I think that's a hard thing because if they can't put it into vocabulary that's you know, their normal vocabulary, then how are they going to search for the answer right. anyways? And that's one of their struggles. Right. So tell me a little bit about what kind of activities seem to result in flow the most often. Like what sorts of exercises do you do or challenges or units tend to really see the most flow happening? So I really like my five minute five-minute challenges. I'm a real big advocate for the Pomodoro method where you have 25 minutes of solid working and five minutes of off time. Well, with middle schoolers, it's better if you have five minutes of solid working <laughs> and like five minutes of off time. So I like to do the five-minute challenges where the kids can't ask me a question. They're not allowed to talk really to anyone. I want them just full on struggling and trying to figure it out themselves. And most of the time they're engaged. So what, what is the five minute challenge? Tell me, tell me about how that works in your room. Oh, in the morning when they come in on the board, there is either typically there's a piece of code or I'll do it two ways. I'll either give them the piece of code, tell them to write out the code, tell me what that program is doing. And then they would have to explain where what those lines of codes do with the comment feature. That's at the beginning. But today I actually gave them a flow chart with a program and it was pretty well written out. And what they did is they, they took the flow chart and then they had to write it in Python code. And the last step was really hard and there was a lot of struggle, but I made them struggle for a bit. And then at the end of the five minutes, they know that they're going to get help and we always go over the answer. So I, I tend to find out you know, that that click happens and that's where we know we can push them a little bit harder or show them a new way of coding something. So what's interesting about that too is I've watched you go through this five-minute challenge a few times and what I find fascinating is it's not always the same students who mm -hmm. solve the challenge, right? It's usually a different student each time. Why do you think that is? You know, that's interesting. I was thinking about that because, you know, at the beginning we had a, I had a student that came in, he, he knew how to code. And he was always the one getting all the answers first. And I think what happened was, is he had a background, a little bit of background in coding. I'm starting to find out that the other kids are catching up to where he is and he's not always the first. But I really do think it has to do with the amount of words in the code. You know, there's a difference between math and Python. And there's a difference between, you know, lists. Some people can really see the list and read it out and understand what's going on. And some people can really see the math. Today's was a lot of math. So it was an interesting group of kids that got it. And they were different than the other one. So yeah, I guess it just has to do with the, maybe it's the curriculum behind it, whether it's more English kind of base versus a more science math. That could be a, a theory. Well, it's different, the na different natures of problems, right? Yeah. So there's, there's lots of different problems that can be solved with programming. And what I like about the students that we have is that you can really see that some students have strong suits in some areas and other students have completely different strong areas, right? So when we give them projects or challenges, they can go to those areas where they can build from their strengths mm -hmm. and, and leverage something that they're talented at. 
and then apply this layer of coding and computational thinking and problem solving to it that they didn't really have six weeks ago, right? Yeah. That they're acquiring and they're using. And as I said to them last week, after many of them achieved that click in their coding challenge, said this is knowledge earned, not knowledge given. Absolutely. Right? And knowledge earned that you have to fight for and you have to struggle for and win is going to stay with you far longer than knowledge that's given to you. Absolutely. And I, I think we both have that same philosophy where I can disseminate a lot of information to them. And I tend not to, to lecture a lot because of this. Because if I just disseminate the information, it goes in, they can regurgitate it. But I don't think the click or the flow will ever come out of a child who just repeats what you say. Right. So right. it's that actual struggle and the, the processing. It was funny. I was just thinking while you're talking about another incident where a click happened differently. It was during the pie top mm -hmm. where with the pie top and the breadboard where they were prototyping some kids. So just to back oh, up for back a second. Up, sorry. So the, the pie top oh, is yes. a, a Raspberry Pi based laptop computer that has a lot of exercises in it around circuit design and programming and working with the different pins on the Raspberry Pi. So you know, Kelly's put together this fantastic couple of weeks with the students where it's as much learning about electronics and the Raspberry Pi and coding as it is about reading comprehension and inter interpreting and understanding instructions and being able to follow those directions autonomously, right? Mm -hmm. And so that, that unit is, is something that I think is working really well for you. And yeah. so I just wanted to give that oh, background on what it is before we jump into why it's I working. Was, you know, I was going to save that for a, for a later episode. <laughs> and that's actually called my grit and perseverance unit because <laughs> yep. there, there's a lot of needed. But thank you, yes. So the PyTop, there are a couple kids that really got into a state of flow with that. And I don't know if it was because of the kinesthetic features, but I had a lot of kids who did not reach – I don't know, maybe a click or a flow at all during the pie top. And again, it was because the wires that they needed to connect in the circuitry was something that they had no prior knowledge, no background knowledge on. So that was a great question. I was still, I'm still thinking about <laughs> <laughs> what state, what makes them click or what makes them flow. Yeah. And I think that's something that we're, that's one of the things that we're learning in this computer science unit as well, because as much background as we have in coding and teaching and everything, it's a new combination, right? Mm -hmm. And this is our first time teaching computer science in this way. So the things that we're learning now, you know, and the, the tactics and the strategies that help encourage that mm -hmm. click and flow, you know, are different than what we've experienced in the past. And we're finding new and better ways each time we go through this to make it happen. The two things that we do know, one, we cannot predict based on the student. Yeah, there's no, you can't say, oh, this student is great at math, mm -hmm. right? And that means that they're gonna ha it's going to click faster for them. Or this student seems more outgoing and engaged or more quiet and reserved. You can't look at a student and predict when the click is going to happen. Yeah. And then the second thing, we, we definitely can guarantee that by going this certain pattern that we do, that it's going to happen in about the sixth, seventh week, at least for two-thirds of our class. So right. those are the two things we know. We just haven't quite figured out exactly who gets the click at what point. I think that's a good test of our machine learning and predictive <laughs> analytics, oh, absolutely. right? Absolutely. I think there's a program <laughs> to be written for that one. <laughs> you know, I, and I think that's, that's the part that really is the delight though, right? It's seeing those students that experience that click and really get it that maybe no one else expected them to have it, right? Absolutely. And I've seen everything from a, you know, big hulking football player <laughs> to, you know, a petite member of the gymnastics team or the cheerleading squad 
have that click moment and is just a it's just amazing to watch. Yeah, so I think we're we're all wait we always wait for that. <gasps> oh, yeah, I get it. State right. so. Right, and and it makes it it makes it so much fun and so enjoyable. It makes something, you know, every time I have those little clicks or those little moments where a light bulb goes on as I'm learning something new, it makes me appreciate that big light bulb moment that they have for the first time. And I I usually try every time it happens to pull that student aside and say, how do you feel right now, right? How does this feel to have that click moment where now it makes sense where before it didn't? And they usually say, it feels amazing, yeah. right? And I say, that's why we code, right? That's why we solve these problems is because that feeling of I get it and it makes sense and this thing that was a struggle for so long is finally working, that feeling is addictive right in the best possible way and i think once you get that um with teaching python i think that is your one goal not to make sure that you produce a coder or a person that's going to go into programming and i tell the kids all the time to be honest you're not you don't have to be a coder you don't have to be a programmer you don't even have to continue to code once you get out of our courses but what you can always take with you is that state where you get it and where you can enjoy being in it. And, you know, we're happy to take questions or any comments about when you when you experience click or flow with your students when you're teaching Python. So you want to tell them about our, our Twitter? Sure. So we have a, a new Twitter account. We're at Teaching Python on Twitter. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions or start a conversation there. We also have our website live now. We're at teachingpython.fm. And we'll be launching our blog soon, too. So we're going to be reaching you in both an auditory way and a textual way so that you can catch up with the latest things that we're learning and excited about with Teaching Python. We've launched our first episodes on the website now. So we're kind of we record a little bit in advance of our, our episodes being published. So it's been really great to see our first set of subscribers to our podcast joining in. Um, we'd like to add in the future an email section or a, a conversation section where we can talk about questions that have come up or thoughts that people have had. So please go ahead and send those in to us. Use the Twitter account to connect with us, and we'll be adding a Gmail inbox for you as well in the near future so that we can get uh, your questions for, via email as well. So, you know, this is Kelly and Sean and Kelly. <laughs> and, this, and this is Sean. <laughs> and uh, we hope that to hear from you about how you reach a state of click and flow. All right. Thank you very much.